everybody, and welcome to another episode of Save vs. Death, uh, the game, <laughs> the, the show where we play old, busted RPG systems that are very unforgiving, very idiosyncratic, and mostly forgotten. Uh, I am your GM, Ritzgarn. With me today are our victims, Josh and Campster. Hello. It's a privilege to have Campster on the show today because his good RPG experience is minimal. Uh, and he's never been on this show, and I don't think he's ever even seen the show before. Is that right, Camster? I have seen it in my YouTube recommendations. That's almost as good. In fact, in some ways, it's better. He's our extra virgin victim oil. <laughs> All right, so the way the show generally works, if you've got a few episodes, is uh, I offer the players a few code words, and they don't know what these code words mean, but they have to pick one based on whether, you know, they, they just like the sound of it, and that corresponds to a system that I've learned uh, in the intervening time. And uh, we're going to mix things up a little bit today. Instead of offering them the code words, I actually offered the, spoiler warning, Discord the code words. Uh, I gave them three emojis and had them choose which one they wanted me to run, and the emojis were snake, plane, and radio. Uh, overwhelmingly, people chose snake. Now, would you guys like to what guess what Snake is? A D&D &D 1 module based entirely around the Snake scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, you're close. Is it a an RPG system based around the 1990s film Anaconda? You're also close. Is it just Tomb of Horrors? You're also close, in a weird way. I'm just going to give it to you. We are, in fact, playing The Adventures of Indiana Jones role-playing game developed by TSR no. in 1984. Oh, yes. The official licensed <laughs> Indiana Jones role-playing game. Wait, wait. Hold on. So, there's a role-playing game. Is it based around the idea that you role-play as Indiana Jones and friends? Uh, you know, I was going to save that as a surprise for later, but actually, yes, Chris. You would think that it was a game for creating your own Indiana Jones adventures, but this game has no character creation. It only allows you to play pre-made characters based on the principal characters of the Indiana Jones Ooh. film trilogy. I, In I fact, know what characters uh, are. not even trilogy, I don't think? Because it's, it's... Okay, hang on a second. 1984, you said? Yeah, yeah that's before, that is definitely that before Last Crusade. Yeah, which means it's based solely on uh, the original Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. And, and this, so this is a full-fledged role-playing game, and it is developed by TSR, the makers of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, like, okay, and when, it, what, what part of 1984 did it come out in? Because Temple of Doom was May 1984. It launches with uh, Temple of Doom components, so I'm guessing okay, that it was so made it's probably like a more or less alongside. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it does have emblazoned on the front in, like, sort of a, a pulp font from the producers of Dungeons & Dragons game. It, it says that, from the producers of Dungeons & Dragons game. <laughs> okay. There was only one at the time. <laughs> uh, yeah, and also, it's interesting they say producers. Now, I really wish I had uh, either a little more time to research or, you know, maybe had a little more information about who developed the rule system. Without getting too much into minutiae... Uh, 
which we'll, we may touch on at some of it later. This game is actually, it resembles a lot of other systems that TSR produced in the 1980s, uh, from like 1980 onwards, which were designed to simulate kind of more modern adventures. TSR really did try to break out in the 80s into doing games that would like work for a, a diversity of genres besides heroic fantasy, and nothing really worked that well. Uh, almost none of them are remembered, even by uh, RPG stalwarts. That's kind of sad. Are are they like lost to time, or are they just not discussed much? Um, they're well, they're certainly not available for sale anymore. Uh, they are, generally speaking, available only as sketchy PDFs or as eBay pickups. Uh, or like you can find one maybe in a used bookstore somewhere. And also, yes, um, they're they're not discussed. They're not uh, mentioned. They're not referenced. They're not certainly no modern design stems from them. Uh, that their, their lessons were pretty much forgotten and were never really developed from even at the time. Uh, which case in point, uh, I've actually noted in my survey of these systems that several of them have really cool common sense like uh, rule streamlines and simplifications that are completely discarded. Uh, in the next edition, which has a bunch of other, like, seemingly from first principles, uh, innovations, which are, again, discarded in the next game. Indiana Jones, in particular, uh, in some ways, it's a pastiche of all... Like, it, it bears resemblances to all of the other modern systems that were developed around the time, and yet I would say it's slightly worse than all of them. <laughs> well, oh, that's God. encouraging. Here's here's kind of a, a just a general overview of what was happening uh, with TSR around the time. So, as you all know, Dungeons & Dragons uses the d20 as its primary die, uh, which is you roll a number between 1 and 20, and that determines whether you hit somebody uh, in a combat. And most other times, you either need to roll damage, or you don't need to really roll anything at all, the exception being, like, if you're rolling uh, a proficiency check, which basically uses your stats, you roll the d20 and try to get under your stat uh, with modifications. Or... And this is kind of the interesting part. If you're like a thief, you have skills which are based on percentiles. So you roll two dice, which are meant to represent numbers between 1 and 100, and you try to get under a percentile value. Now, I guess TSR decided that's a nice broad range of values. Like, the, that has like a, that represents sort of a large range of skill levels and of proficiencies. That seems like the wave of the future. Like, to, to Wargamers, that really seemed like that's the way forward. You know, this, this kind of minute, precise simulation. You have a stat that's between 1 and 100, and you roll percentiles and try to get under it, and certain things modify above or below. And you see that in a lot of games ranging from, um, I would say, roughly about 1975 to the late 80s. And that was a complete dead end how wrong they turned out to be that sounds so ridiculous to us now yeah because i mean there's a few problems with it for design layman one of the main ones is that it's not actually that granular probability space because generally speaking like things are going to modify the difficulty above or below but like it's almost too much numbers to deal with where like if you have like a minus 20 for something then that means that, like, either you're still failing a lot of the time for somebody who's incredibly skilled so that they otherwise never fail, or else, like, they're actually failing a decent amount of the time, but they just fail less frequently than other people. It's just, it's too messy to adjust the difficulty of a discrete task to suit the giant stat. Plus, rolling percentile dice is just ugly. It's, like, kind of a clunky, cumbersome, chart-consulting way to 
run yeah. a system, and it it doesn't provide a wide range of granular accessible results. But anyway, uh, this game is almost entirely based on D10s. In fact, I think it only uses D10s. Uh, it, it, mostly, you're just rolling percentiles. Well, uh, as for the actual adventure we're going to play today, uh, now there is a pre-made adventure that comes with the main rules document, and there were, there were a variety of other published adventures which I, I have not actually seen or laid eyes on at all. Um, the only problem is that the adventure in the book is for one player playing Indiana Jones. Uh, and it's also... Hmm? It's for one player and no DM? Like it's, it's No, it's for like a DM a and player. one player. It's for two people. That's really That's still weird. weird. <laughs> Although, actually, I say that it can. It's structured so that it can be played just by the person reading it. Like the, it's very choose your own adventure novel. In fact, it's a lot like a a, a, a lone wolf novel. If you if you ever read any of those choose your own adventure RPG light books, like it's like you roll your skill. If you succeed, this happens. If you fail, that happens. Then this happens. You roll again. If that happened, you have a minus ten. If that happened, you have a plus ten. It's 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 kind of sticky, but I guess like I could actually hmm. I think it's a decent way to teach the game, so I'll, I'll give it a pass. So that's the only adventure module, or are all the adventure modules just one person playing Indiana Jones? Oh, that's that's the only adventure. That's the adventure that came with the book. Um, I, I there were other there were modules no published, which I materials. assume. Yeah, no, not not with the main book. I mean, I know that there there were other releases for this game. Actually, it it apparently sold well enough that they published other materials for it. It just not well enough to actually like make a dent in the public consciousness or steer them to make any other really licensed games, except, okay, you know what? TSR made, like, one other licensed game that I can I can remember. You guys want to guess? Just, just take a wild stab what it was. Star Wars. No. No, Star Wars' first uh, RPG was, like, West End Games. Um... Yeah, it was, that, and that was also kind of a developmental dead end. Breakfast Club. Uh, I'm just gonna give it to you. <laughs> it was Buck Rogers... Oh man, why aren't we playing that one, Red Scar? <laughs> uh, because it sucks. Also, oh, as opposed to this one. <laughs> also, I believe. Uh, okay, so yeah, Buck Rogers was created in 1982, and then the game came out that decade, but kind of late that decade. I don't know. I, I I remember like seeing we like the for some reason the RPG club I was president of had two copies. Two boxed copies of Buck Rogers versus the Han, and it turns out that both of them are expansions to the main game that are worthless by themselves. So, so how are we going to resolve this whole uh, "we've got too many people for this game" problem? Oh, it's not a problem. Uh, I'll just improvise an adventure. Okay. Yeah, uh, so I, I did a little bit of research, which, by which I mean I looked at one web page, and it turns out there was an Indiana Jones movie that was in discussion for a while, but n never actually really got developed, uh, oh, where no. Indiana Jones and crew would go to a Scottish castle that was haunted. So I, I'm just going to take that and run with it. We'll see where it goes. Oh, but yeah, first I, I need to assign you your characters. Aw, assign. Yeah, well, actually, I'm just curious. Who would you guys pick? Well, I was under the hopeful impression that this would include Last Crusade so I could play Brody, but I, I'll take Sala. Uh-huh. And Josh? I, and we also can't play uh, Henry... That was his name, right? I can't remember now. Yeah, his dad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... 
also actually running this. through the wait was Brody not in? He he was. I was going. Raiders I was going to say he, he no. He was in Raiders, but he, the, the problem is Brody in the original stayed at the museum. He didn't become an adventurer and go out. Uh, right, until Brody's not one of the characters in that's available in this materials. Um, I can just give you the full list. Uh, I think I am I'm... just going to let you play whoever you want to. Uh, I was going to assign you. So I. If there's going to be three people, basically I was going to assign it like so that Josh would end up with the lounge singer. Uh, Right. Willie, Willie Scott. Um, Chris would end up with everybody's favorite uh, Indiana Jones love interest, Willie Scott. Uh, and then Jacob would end up with the villain of Temple of Doom, uh, Wilhelmina, Willie Scott. And then the premise would be that there'd be like an amulet that clones people. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I do think that it is vitally important that none of us play as Indiana Jones in this Indiana Jones role-playing game. Oh, we are in accord. Um, but I, under the circumstances with just the two of you, I think it'd be interesting to show off a diversity of characters. So, Chris, uh, congratulations, you're Sala. Yay! I, I mean, I was gonna say my choice was like Short Round, but Short Round is a really problematic character for a lot of reasons. It's like I, I was know, actually I going to specifically veto Short Round, but you seem to have gotten there independently. I, yeah. I actually went from like an initial reaction of "Oh man, I'll make everybody play Short Round" to "Wait, no, that's a terrible idea." <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> so, so what is the full character list? Okay, full character list. Um... Let's see here. Uh, let me just scroll down because it's. I, I got the. Yeah. All right. I. I mean. Let me flip the pages in this this copy of the book that I have <laughs> that I purchased legally uh, in 1984. <laughs> I, yeah, ten years before you were born. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> so your choices are, of course, Indiana Jones, uh, Sala, which is not a choice. Marion Ravenwood, Short Round, Willie Scott, Wu Han. Uh, who is the uh, the but waiter from the beginning he of dies. Doom? Yeah, yeah, but he was he he does die, but he was also Indiana Jones's companion. And the game can take place in any period in 1930. So this this makes sense because okay. it it's established that they've had adventures together. So that actually makes a lot of sense. No, I know it does. It just it bugs me. Yeah, because like oh, it can and, take uh, place at any time in the 1930s. But then Short Round would be like less old than he is in the Temple of Doom. Okay, we're gonna make a short game. Um. You guys got three guesses to guess who the last playable character is. I'll give you a hint. He's in Raiders of the Lost Ark only. Uh, is he uh, a Nazi? Belloc. Nope. I'll give you um, another hint. He's not a villain. There's no villains playable in this game. Darn. The captain of the ship? Nope. Although that would be the good monkey. one, actually. Nope. The monkey's a Nazi, Josh. Yeah, the monkey Damn is it. a Nazi, Josh. He gives a the monkey literally gives a Nazi salute. The monkey is a Nazi. Um, I'm trying to think of friend friendly characters and raiders that there, there's the, the captain of the ship. Like, there's Marcus, but we've established he's not in it. Um, CIA guy from the beginning or something. You mean the handlers that come in to like explain to have yeah, the, 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 the top no, men. it's not none of them. Neither of them. Is, it's is actually it, been a long time since I've seen the Indiana Jones films, and I'm like, is it Marion's dad? Is it Doctor Ravenwood? No, okay, no. We're, I'm just gonna tell you guys, it's the pilot, Jock Lindsay. Oh yeah, he's got a bar Ooh. now. He he retired to Orlando. Yeah. There's a bar at Disneyland called Jock Lindsay's, and it's I, got Indiana Jones. I crap. guess I will pick 
Marion, because I don't remember any of the fucking Temple of Doom characters, aside from that Willie Scott was annoying. Um... <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll just go ahead and tell you that Marion has one of the highest stats in the game. Uh, unfortunately, it's individual it's her stat that's one of the highest in the game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's what? Uh... It's appeal. appeal. Charisma slash attractiveness. Oh, okay. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it's a 92. Naturally. And Willie Scott's actually also has a 92 in appeal, and they both share the highest stat in the game. So, canonically, Marion Ravenwood could have had her own, lunch, her own lounge act. Okay, so I'm going to outline Wait. your character choices. And extremely conveniently for me, both of your characters are on the same page of the rulebook. Okay. Okay. Uh, so... Sala. Sala is a digger for hire. Cairo is his home. That's that's your backstory. I, I knew that. Excellent. Movie. So, once again, these stats are out of 100, and uh, essentially, when you roll like 2d10, uh, sorry, when you roll like percentile, you want to roll at or under your stats, so higher is better. So, strength. You have a strength of 88. Nice. A movement of 52, so movement is any kind of acrobatics. A prowess of 60, that's fighting. A backbone of 76. Uh, an instinct of 68. And an appeal of 72. That's backbone is courage. Yeah, backbone is courage. Instinct is like, you know, danger sense. You start out with a knife. Uh, 50 bucks. You know how to drive and survey. Dig sites. And you speak Arabic, English, and German. Cool. Alright, Josh, you play Marion Ravenwood. Marion is currently between jobs. That's her backstory. I, All right, I love you the, have... the depth She owns of these a bar. Characters. Yep. Is this like after uh, well, the not, bar got Not anymore, down? the Nazis burned it down. <laughs> so wait, so uh, this all takes place between Temple of Doom and uh, Raiders? It's very... It, there's no canonical timeline. It's very silly, you're right. Um, so your strength is 52, your movement is 64, your prowess is 56, your backbone is 80, so you're much more courageous. Well, you're slightly more courageous, I suppose. Your instinct is 60, and your appeal is 92. It must be said your character is overall worse than Sala. But you do, yeah. you, you are more agile, slightly more courageous, and you have more, like, people skills. Uh, you have no weapons and no money. Excellent. But you know how to you know how to drive, how to pick locks, and how to pick pockets, which is interesting because I don't know that that was ever. Uh, I guess you know she used sleight of hand to get the knife. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and you speak English and Nepalese. So uh, as this is set in Scotland, in Scotland, those are very useful. <laughs> yeah. Like all these other foreign languages. Does, does anybody have a crash course on Scots? So we can, I don't know, maybe the ghosts speak Scots. I, you know, I actually am reasonably well acquainted with Scots, but I'm going to spare everybody my actually attempting it. I, I, I think that, like, I, I think that, that 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 really just spells doom for everybody concerned. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, all right, so the two of you apparently are touring a castle in Scotland. Presumably you're on vacation after the exciting adventure you had uh, in the dig sites of yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. That sounds right. Mar Marion and Sala go on vacation together alone. I ship it. 
So, uh, you're in a tour. You're you're in a group of uh, touring tourists. Uh, the most part, it's uh, Americans, kind of crass in their seersucker outfits, uh, walking along, chewing peanuts, pointing at paintings, and going, "Golly!" The tour guide is kind of a, is, is an emaciated uh, Scotsman with a extremely clipped accent, uh, which is to to your ears more or less implacable. Uh, doesn't see it sound like broadly scottish or broadly english but somewhere in between he goes through and dryly uh relates the histories of various persons of interest but nobody's really listening to him because uh for the most part it's just like the family history by the way um you were in castle Lindsay. i'm just wondering how all these kids in the middle of the great depression are in this freaking irish vacation scottish vacation Sorry. rich kids i mean no rich assholes remain rich assholes uh, you've just reached the top landing uh, of the castle when finally uh, the ears of the group begin to perk up as, with some obvious reluctance, the butler begins to elucidate the hauntings of Castle Lindsay. In 1741, Gregory Lindsay, the lord of Castle Lindsay, went mad at dinner one evening. He began berating his servants for attempting to poison him, this despite the fact that later an investigation by the Crown determined that there was no poison used, or no nothing present in his dishes that was untoward, this despite the fact that he was not said to have any enemies. After striking several servants and locking himself in his chambers, refusing to exit for any reason, he began to push pages out from under the door. Pages in a elaborate document accusing the whole realm of conspiring against him. He died of a terrible fever, saying that even his own family, who had been trying to talk him out through the door, was poised against him. Now, it said, he roams the castle, plaguing his descendants. It's for this reason that his descendants ultimately moved from the castle, leaving it as a destination for tourists and for the preservation of various historical societies. However, be cautious. Guests sometimes notice unusual events. Alright, so he, having wrapped up what you, you, you gather is a well-rehearsed, if not especially well-liked speech, uh, he passes... Uh, through the hallway into a gallery which is made up to look like a medieval dining hall. or Not medieval per se, but honestly kind of a mishmash of centuries. There's a, there are several like tacky mannequins, uh, one of them uh, attempting to, probably supposed to be Gregory Lindsay, uh, a few attempting to be like his servants and family, uh, all beckoning to him as he stands, uh, raising up his goblet. All right, at this point, I'm going to roll instinct for the two of you. Oh, dear. Does Saul have a higher instinct than me? He does, by a, a slight margin. That seems like some some level of bullshit, especially with how he acquitted himself in the third film. Yeah. If instinct was a stat for discovering mounts... Oh, no, no, that was, that was Last Crusade, that's right. So, uh... Oh, interesting. Tracy Hickman got a special thanks. This is why they got rid of these systems. It's because Brett Skarn is spending all this time looking at this chart. 
No, I'm actually not. Uh, I'm just trying to find your character sheets again. This is my... <laughs> this would be trivially easy if I actually had them printed out, even. Or photocopied. Alright, so, Chris, you rolled a 75 over your instinct of 68, meaning you detect nothing. Okay. Josh, you roll a... T- you roll a 28 under your instinct of 60, meaning you do detect something. So as you walk, uh, you note something amiss within the room. A chill that runs down your spine. That, that's it? Uh, actually, yes, because you didn't roll that... Well, no, no, actually, hold on. Yes, no, 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 you do actually detect something. You detect not only the nature, uh, basically, or that something is wrong, but you detect the direction. As you walk, you note that the mannequin's head angles slightly towards the group. His chipped plastic blue eyes seem focused almost on you. That's creepy. Damn, Saul, is it cold in here? I don't notice anything. (laughs) (laughs) You see that mannequin over there? It feels like it's looking at me. I mean, I guess. I, I, do you want me to punch good. the mannequin? Rise Davies impression there. I, I don't know <laughs> how to do it. I'm not Scottish and I'm not, not from Cairo. I cannot do this. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's perfectly fine. All right, uh, the tour guide has materialized behind you and leans in. Uh, his cold eyes uh, peer at you, Marion. What did you just say? Uh, it's, it's nothing. It's just... And it's like that mannequin was looking at me. He withdraws like a cat that's just been sneezed at. Looking at you, you had that particular sense, did you? His eyes flicker to the mannequin, noting that the angle of its chin is slightly different than it was before. The blood drains from his already more or less bloodless face. I, I suppose... Well, that, that that concludes today's tour, he stammers. Well, the tour said, but I wanted to see the torture room. He's like, that's enough of that. You're all blessed to even be here, standing where the great men once stood. Americans, be gone! All of you, be gone! He suddenly shouts, waving his hand upwards. And I'm going to go ahead and roll again. All right, neither of you rolled under your instinct, so <laughs> neither of you detect that anything is amiss as the tour, as the tour group is beginning to be sh- shooed from the chamber. At, at this point, I just like to picture Sal is wearing like the, the hat, the Castle Lindsay hat, and a little Castle Lindsay like <laughs> popcorn bucket, and is just not noticing anything <laughs> wrong at all. <laughs> oh, that was Going out, the, exiting through the Castle Lindsay gift shop. <laughs> It's like a 90s gift shop in this 30s castle. <laughs> so, I think, so you guys go to you guys go to a bar afterwards? I guess. Yeah, let's I I, I don't know the exact context of this vacation here, All right, but uh, apparently I guess it's fine my treat since you have no money. <laughs> since yeah. he's got 50 American dollars. You guys take American dollars here in Scotland, right? I'm a British accent. Why does all I have American dollars anyway? I don't fucking know. I'm a Welsh Egyptian guy who spent some time in the States, okay? It's not that weird. <laughs> as, you're, as you're languishing in the bar, uh, after a few moments, a uh, thin man with a foppish haircut 
uh, and an exceptionally well-tailored uh, suit approaches and lays a few fingers on your shoulder, uh, Sala. Excuse mm-hmm. me. I understand it was the two of you who witnessed um, something unusual within the castle? That was really more her. I, I didn't notice anything. Well, I mean, it wasn't all that unusual. It's just it just seemed like one of mannequins turned to look at me. Well, I'm sure it was not nothing. typical hereabouts. I'm sure in I'm sure in America with your sideshows and your <laughs> your clockwork devices, that it is nothing at all for a mannequin to turn its head on a boulevard to ogle a passerby or admire a small dog. But here in Scotland, it is actually fairly rare. I say this, uh, of course, not having spent much time in Scotland myself, having been educated within England. I'm sorry, allow me to introduce myself. I am Winston Lindsay, and I am, um, uh, currently, uh, the owner of Lindsay Castle. Okay. Nice to meet you, Mr. Lindsay. What are you doing here? Well, uh, might I be candid with you? He takes a seat in the bar and... Orders around for each of you. Well, I suppose if that's how you want to do it. I have not much in connection with my ancestral home. I always found it dreary and unsettling living there as a child. I was rather happy when we vacated the place and uh, spread out, as it were. However, the butler, who does remain there within the quarters, uh, has... He was told me gained something of a rapport with what he sees to be uh, malicious forces there. Now, I, I, I'm not sure how much stock I put into it, but he says that uh, for some reason the spirits within the castle have taken an interest in, um, I suppose it would be you, Miss... Oh, you actually believe the castle is haunted. Ravenwood. Her name's Ravenwood. Well, I, I wouldn't say that I believe the castle is haunted, but, well, I'm hardly going to find a replacement butler, and if he's acquired an odd superstition, then I I suppose I must humor him, mustn't I? So what exactly are you saying, sir? Well, I'm saying that uh, he would be very obliged if you would... Oh, I'm, I'm, I feel terribly foolish proposing this, but... If you would take up residence within the master bedroom, uh, and one of the guest bedrooms, of course, uh, for one evening. To prove what? Well, it, not not to prove anything per se. Uh, apparently, again, this, this sounds very foolish, I apologize. Uh, he's under the impression that the two of you have some sort of connection with the spirit within... Uh, or at least that he believe the spirit believes there is some sort of connection, and that if you stay overnight, uh, he-, he will be satisfied that you are not, for example, a descendant of the Lindsays, or that you are in no other way there to harm him, and uh, will calm himself. The butler instructed me that when the spirit is not quelled, there are again I don't know what to make of this, but he's he says that accidents tend to happen. Is there money involved? Oh, of course, yes. I do it, um... He pulls out his billfold and has, gives a quizzical, uh, embarrassed look. 500 pounds a piece be suitable? Yes, yes, let's do it. 
Well, you jumped on that quick. Uh, says the oh, person God. with no money, I'm paying your bar tab. All right, we'll do it. We'll stay in your castle and for a night, if it will assuage your butler. I will, of course, provide accommodations immediately. You'll find it quite comfortable. There are many modern conveniences there for the, for the sake of what staff we do retain. Is there indoor plumbing? I mean, it's a castle, I just... Ah, well, there is, um... It's provided for, as it were. Mm. I, plumbing is perhaps a strong word, but, uh, suffice it to say, you will not stew. I, that's really not great imagery, but okay, I'll... I'll... <laughs> Don't use that word ever again. Mm. So, skipping ahead a little bit, uh, you're brought to the castle. Uh, it's somewhat spookier without all the tourists journeying about. The lights are kept to a dimmer level, uh, and there, there, there is, in fact, electricity running through the castle uh, by way of kind of the antiquated system, which was installed within living memory. Uh, sorry, barely installed within living memory. Uh, but there are also some uh, kerosene lights. Which uh, give additional illumination, allowing the servants to finish their chores. Uh, despite what great, despite uh, what you were told by uh, the senior Lindsay, uh, there's not a lot of servants that actually stay overnight. Uh, many appear to be departing and quite happy to be departing, uh, giving you only the minimum of pleasantries before exiting directly uh, through the gift shop. Uh, the butler uh, regards you both sternly and says. Hmm. Well, don't let me detain you any longer. He gestures elaborately with a bony hand to the grand staircase. You will find your room doors unlocked. I turn to Salah. So, who gets the grand bedroom? I'll take the guest bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You go up the stairs. You go up the stairs, and as... You open the doors to your bedrooms. The lantern in the hallway blows out, leaving you both shrouded in darkness. I call out to Marion. Ah, this damn old school lighting systems. <laughs> I messed up my line there. <laughs> Marion, uh, you hear footsteps climbing the staircase. Heavy footsteps, clanking. Sala, is that you? No, but I get the sense that we're in a Scooby-Doo mystery. I do too. It's it's very Scooby-Doo, isn't it? I wasn't going to bring it up. Scooby-Doo is just the name of a prankster asshole you both know back in the States. <laughs> well, come on, let's go follow it. Uh, first, we need to be able to see. Um, I'm standing at my door, and all I have is $37 and a, and a knife. <laughs> there are, like, candles around, or...? Uh, I'll say that you, you saw where there was a lantern last, so you could attempt to relight it. Sure. I do so. Okay, you move to relight the lamp, and as the light, as the light strikes... Uh, and the kerosene takes hold of your meager matchlit flame. Directly ahead of you, standing in the midst of the hallway, is a suit of armor with a visor up and a skull beyond it. In its hands is a rusty broadsword, which it swings like a woodsman's axe, 
uh, ungainly, clumsily, directly at you, Marion. Now, we have begun the combat. Here's what we do. Both of you tell me what you want to do this round, and then you tell me when you want to do it. Uh, unlike most games, which have an initiative system that determines objectively who goes first, uh, how this game works is player characters decide who goes first, and, like, if they roll... Like, if they're up against, like, a, an arch-villain, maybe the villain, like, can try to go first before them, but mooks always go last otherwise. Um... Well, it's attacking me right now, so immediately dodge out of the way. Okay, my headphones just blinked out. Josh, did you declare an action? I said I'd dive out of the way. Damn it, my headphones are still blinked out. <laughs> oh, Jesus. The Scooby-Doo mystery is taking hold in real life! Okay, try again. Hello? Hello? There we go, finally. <laughs> Alright, Josh, action. Uh, I dive out of the way since he's attacking me. Okay, yeah, but dodging is more or less presumed. Uh, do you have a retaliation? Okay. Um, throw the throw the lamp at it, burn it. Would that even? How much kerosene is in the lamp? Enough to burn a skeleton. Yeah, I'll treat it as a weapon. I no, I um, I dodge to the side and bash it over the head with the lamp. Sounds good, Chris. What do you do? Um, how close am I to the skeleton? Uh, you can be very close, or you can be not close. It's up to you. This is a very soft RPG system. Um, <laughs> Your spatial location is is up for debate. It, it is a little bit. There is objective movement systems, but the game also encourages you to play a little fast and lose sometimes. Given that it may or may not be about to be on fire, I'm going to prefer that Sala be a little bit far away and is making steps towards the the skeleton armor man but it's not quite there yet when Josh hits it with the the lamp. Okay, so you're just you're just uh, adjusting your position. Yes. Okay, in that case, uh we are now going to engage with this game's brawling system. Okay, so first I make a prowess check. Uh it tells me uh how your if your character hits and also how hard you hit. So, Josh, you have a pretty low prowess. Right, cuz Marion uh, never see. won any fights. With bottles or other glass implements. <laughs> <laughs> or fire. Or fire, for that matter. Faked it. Alright, so, Marion rolls her prowess on a 1d100. Alright, 54. That is under your prowess, meaning you succeed at hitting the armored skeleton with the busted, with the lantern. And now I determine the damage you do. Now... I actually roll a different kind of damage, depending on whether this is, like, a slashing or stabbing weapon or whether it's a blunt weapon. Uh, because if it's a stabbing weapon, it deals possibly lethal damage in the same way like a, a, a gun would. Uh, if it's a blunt weapon, it's basically just treated like a kind of punching. I actually like that as far as Indiana Jones mechanics go. That makes a lot of sense. Kind of screws yeah, us over really here. Does. But... I mean, if I right. break the lantern, then it becomes a stabby weapon. That's true. But then we're in the dark. Alright, no, actually, also I said you hit it over the head of the lantern, but that has yet to be determined. Uh, this game determines the location you hit somebody, and uh, also how badly you hit them. And this is somewhat random. 
I, you know what? I, this sounds like the kind of uh, fun times that we have in this kind of system, so I'm just going to go ahead and read you off the, the part where it tells you how to determine what kind of damage you deal. Oh, boy. So, uh, refer to the number that you rolled for the prowess check. Then go to the modified check table on the back of the booklet and find the row that coincides with that number. Find the column that coincides with the level of your character's attribute ratings at the time of the prowess check. Cross-reference the appropriate row and column to find a color square on the table. Go to the check result table and find the column that applies to the type of check you made. Find your color square from the modified check table in that column. That just tells you how much of a wound you deal. Wasn't this supposed to be like an easier game to do? <laughs> Uh, yes, it was supposed to. Fortunately for me, it's actually uh, not that bad. Because I've played a lot of dumbass systems like this, so I can easily apply it. This sounds like a a, a much worse version of uh, um, the Wild West game that we did. Yes. So, looks like... Oh, here we go, okay. Alright, uh... Let's see, This this is technically a punch... <laughs> So you get them in the gut, the armored gut. <laughs> I missed their head by uh, a couple feet. Yep. And it's brawling, so I actually had to invert those numbers. And let's see, you got less than half of your uh, roll, uh, of your, your total, um, less than half of your total stat, which means you do serious damage. Oh, no, you do medium damage, but in this case, that's going to be enough. All right, yeah, you splash hot oil all through the armor. And the skeleton gives a piteous, human-like shriek, uh, backing up as it is caught on fire. It then falls down the staircase, and the armor and bones fall to pieces, clattering and scattering across the ballroom floor. Is it apparent that there was no one inside? It is, in fact, apparent that all that was there was a skeleton and a suit of armor. Oh, interesting. Uh-oh. Uh, all throughout the manor, a whistling rises up, like a, a wind coming through some unseen gap in the masonry. A dark chuckle uh, takes form within this kind of white noise that fills your eardrums. You hear the sounds of branches smacking against the walls. Branches and other things. Uh, Sala, I'm beginning to think this wasn't worth my bar tab. I'm beginning to think you were right. <laughs> uh, there's a slam from the main foyer, which is not too far down the staircases, and the grinding noise of bolts shooting home. We should probably seek cover. What are you guys going to do? Where are you going to go? Uh, our bedrooms are unlocked, and... There as soon as you turn around, light. the bedroom doors slam shut and the bolts drive home. You hear laughter echoing. Um, okay, there's got to be a window downstairs or something. Let's go down the door. Downstairs. Alright, as you start to go down the staircase, suddenly the steps angle to turn into a smooth slide. I'm going to roll movement for both of you. This really is a cartoon. I'm it glad they didn't make this move. It's a mystery. Uh, okay, good news. Sala, you made your you made your check. Bad news, Marion, you didn't. Uh, I'm going to roll to see if you take damage. Just gonna improvise that attack here. Uh, fortunately, you are not very much scathed, but you hit the ground uh, prone, and significantly before your ally. 
who managed to dis- slow his descent. Uh, down at the bottom, as you reach it, you see there is a rotting corpse standing before you, uh, wearing the Edwardian garb of one of the uh, previous owners of the home. Is the corpse still burning? Uh, no, the fires have gone out in the howling wind. Damn it. All, that's, all the available light now is moonlight through the, the giant windows. The corpse's hands reach for you, Marion. Okay, I uh, try to push myself away while yelling, Sala, do something! Sala, what do you do? I take my knife and stab at thee, the ghost. Alright, you roll over your prowess. You miss. <laughs> the ghost lunges okay. for Marion, but fortunately also misses. Oh, it's a ghost? I probably shouldn't try to stab a ghost. <laughs> you said you said ghost, but it's it, it's like a corpse. It, it's it's unclear how real it is, but uh, it, it doesn't seem to be just like a zombie, because that wouldn't make a whole lot of sense. But yeah, it's, it is a undead supernatural apparition, which is appears more or less solid, which is reaching for you, Marion, and just sort of like you're, you're scrambling one step ahead of it. Sala? Can I help Marion up? Uh, yes, you can. What are you guys going to do now that you're standing up? He's now reaching for both of you. I kick it in the nuts. Or try All right, to, that's a, anyway, I would hope. That's a kick. I'll roll. You succeed on your check. And actually, what do you know? You got him in the nuts. <laughs> yeah! Does that do All anything? Right. Um, yes, it does. Uh, does serious damage in this circumstance. So, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna say I your boot catches him, death. and he cracks in half up the middle, <laughs> and <laughs> withers into dust. What the hell? Okay. What was that? The doors at the end of the hall slam open, and the butler, in his nightgown, emerges. What did you do? He says, approaching fiercely. What did you do? I apparently Marianne, kicked it really hard, and it died. <laughs> You've You've slain one of the members of the household? Well, former members, but yes. Also, he, slain would imply they were living. He doesn't seem to be listening to you. Uh, he looks livid, in fact. And he's, he's staring at the spot where the apparition was. He turns back to you and says, This was supposed to be so simple. Wait, what? He slowly turns around. You were both ideal specimens, young, hale, and hearty. Ideal vessels for my family. Really? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm 40, and probably overweight. You're 40? I'm 300! Okay, good point. Oh, so the butler is the the guy. If you will not succumb to the spirits of my deceased family, if you will side instead with those poisoned with English blood, he reaches for his side and pulls from his belt a Walther PPK pistol. I mean, he's Egyptian and I'm American, so I mean, I guess I probably have English blood. I'm I'm Welsh Egyptian. I I got a lot of English blood, but. (laughs) All the same. But the Welsh aren't the English. Okay, don't uh, tell said, him no, that. He's got a gun. He said, I suppose I will have to use more mundane means. 
And he looks like he's about to fire. I try to stab at thee with the knife again? Okay, you're charging with the knife. Uh, Josh, what do you do? I run around the side and try to grab him from behind. Okay, uh, now this guy... Now, this guy uh, is a villain, which means that if you all want to go at the same time, you get to roll your... you get to compare your movements. Fortunately, uh, this means Josh gets to go first. So, Josh, I'm going to roll a wrestle check for you, and you may be surprised to learn that wrestling is entirely distinct from punching and kicking. Of course. Now, this is a thing where games of this era often had really ass-backwards wrestling mechanics that didn't make any fucking sense. TSR in particular, uh, generally how they work is you roll, and then depending on, like, if you succeed, you apply a random wrestling effect to the afflicted person. Oh, wonderful. That's if you succeed, which we'll determine. So, uh, you first determine... Okay, so first I roll prowess. Hey, success! You got well under your prowess. Uh, in fact, that's a, that's a very good success. So I determine damage, but it's not actually damage you do. It instead corresponds to a whole duper form. Sorry, there's supposed to be an action table. I'm just trying to find out where it is. <laughs> I love how ridiculously complicated this is. It's not the most intuitive system I've ever played. Not terrible for 1984, it must be Ah, here we go. Okay, so based on your wrestling result, um, you grapple. You might, you might recognize this as a synonym of wrestle, but rest assured it has an entirely distinct meaning. And cross-referencing back to the previous chapter. Okay, grapple. Both characters fall to the floor and struggle with each other. Neither character can attack a third person until one of them breaks free uh, by getting the appropriate result from their own wrestling check. So he goes next, so he's going to wrestle you back and see if he succeeds. Oh-ho-ho! He rolls a success on his wrestling check, meaning that he gets a result, but we'll have to find out what it is. Oh, it rolls a different wrestling result next turn. So he may roll grapple, in which case he's still grappling with you, but otherwise he gets some kind of advantage over you. But I'm still around, so I am trying to stab him in the pile. Yes, stab him in the pile. Well, it's a pile of two, but I don't want to stab Marion because she'd be very upset with me. Okay. Oh, you're in luck. He rolled a grapple result. Yes, it's your turn. Well, Sally, you know, you can, you're free to try to stab him. It's not even harder, necessarily. All right, I do it. I try to stab him. Okay. Ooh, good hit. Uh, well, actually not that great. You stab him in the left arm. Uh, however, since you do well on your stab, that is one actually thing that this game does do, is it does tell you how well you did, like, to a certain degree. And the only problem is, this is like a one-size-fits-all system, almost, for determining, like, uh, degrees of success, which I don't think really suits the game well. Or I don't think it really suits many games well. For a pulp game, it might fly. Uh, but in any case, uh, Sala, you do serious damage. So effectively, you right. disable his left arm, which is going to make it harder for him to wrestle. Cool. 
Uh, all right. Uh, you know what? I think we can take the rest of this combat as red here. Marion's holding him down. Sala's just, like, stabbing him. And he can't, uh, actually get a shot off until he breaks a grapple, which doesn't seem like it's gonna happen anytime soon. Especially with his injured arm. Uh, if you'd like, we could call the adventure there. You stabbed the appropriate old man. <laughs> the end! <laughs> the mystery is resolved. Old man dies. Wait, isn't he already, like... Isn't he immortal? Is he a ghost? His spirit was re-released into the castle, but uh, presumably a less shitty movie will be made about that uh, happenstance. So, <laughs> No, what actually happens is that uh, Sala doesn't come back, and uh, then we go and meet aliens. Mm-hmm. So we use just about every system uh, that the game has just then. Just about the one thing we did not do was... Um, or the, the one major thing we didn't do is, this game actually does have a flowchart for chases. Oh, see, what? This, this whole that thing actually sounds really cool. It, it is cool, in the sense that if you're in 1984, sounds... and you're bored with Dungeons & Dragons, and you love Indiana Jones, you might want to pick up this game. It's not cool in the sense of, in 1980, they released a game called Top Secret, and it was better than this game in every single way. Yeah, Fair enough, like, it like, sounds like a cool idea, but really bad implementation. I, I don't know. I, I as somebody who doesn't play a lot of these games, and again, I'm I'm patient zero for no RPG exposure. But like, I I really dig the way it tries to systemize all of the tropes of Indiana Jones, like how it separates weapons that kill you, like swords and guns, from any sort of blunt object or punching, which is sort of a brawly, knock-people-out thing, from chase sequences, which have their own set of rules, to wrestling and grappling, which have their own set of rules, like we're fighting over a gun, which is literally what happened in our little story. I, I really dig that, because they're all different components of Indiana Jones, and they all get systemized in different ways, and, and all feel authentic to not real life at all, but... And, and they certainly don't, I don't think, work as an RPG that's open-ended oh, sure, where absolutely. you can do whatever you want. But as far as like simulating an Indiana Jones movie adventure, I think it works really well. Historically, the most successful role-playing games have not been reality simulations. They have been genre simulations. Uh, and yeah, I'd agree with that. The most successful general systems, by far, are the ones that could be adapted easily to different genres rather than the ones that simulate, like, an objective reality to a modestly successful extent. Uh, but yes, this is an example of a genre game. Um, the one thing I will say about it is it has a few slight refinements. Like, here's one. It would have been actually been very hard for your characters to die. Uh, for the most part, what would probably happen would be that your characters would become injured and need to recuperate, and you might even pass out, but death is a really rare circumstance. It, it requires but I was wondering, wondering about that. Factors. But again, isn't that genre appropriate? Like, like exactly. Yeah. No one That's really what I'm saying. Dies. Yeah. I'm giving. I'm giving it as an example. Even mooks, uh, even like goons, tend not to die. Uh, goons tend to. It just like says they, they 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 fall unconscious, and you're sort of able to determine for yourself whether they're dead or not. Uh, another another uh, thing is that um, goons, when they take serious damage of any kind, they just go down instantly. Um, it doesn't matter, like, you know, with villains, you need to actually, like, kind of stack things up and, uh, like, exceed a certain threshold where, like, basically what happens is you take 
a wound and then you take like a you have to roll like if it's, you take a serious wound to certain locations you have to roll like a strength check to remain conscious um and that's how villains work also but goons they just fall unconscious as soon as they take a severe see that's really cool i, I really kind of dig that especially given like especially given that i know the the reputation of early D versions are all about the lethality and torturing players by mass death um it's kind of cool to see a game that around that era that actually takes the opposite approach. Mm-hmm. And there are some other examples which we may or may not get to, but uh, this is one case where, yes, uh, your characters were not likely to actually die. Although it leaves the, it leaves it possible, and also just leaves it, in effect, the result of pure chance, which I think is a very TSR thing to put into your Indiana Jones role-playing game. Whereas a, a more modern system like Fate, or Spirit of the Century, which is the, the pulp... Uh, Probably the best pulp adventure system, like dedicated pulp adventure system is Spirit of the Century. Uh, has it so that your character literally doesn't die unless it's story appropriate. Um, otherwise, it's just like, you know, you're, you, you're assumed to, whenever you lose a combat, or even choose to lose a combat, uh, because it's just not going your way and you want to gain some mechanical advantage for losing on your terms, uh, you're assumed to be captured or unconscious or just out of the fight, not dead. I really dig that. I mean, there, there's a role for death in RPGs, um, but I think there's, there's especially in old D&D, kind of an obsession with it, and I think it's really cool to see games mess with per, mess with a, a sense of persistence where, like, you can get knocked out of a fight, but it's not because you are dead, and that's really cool. Well, uh, once again, that was Save vs. Death. We were playing the Indiana Jones role-playing game from 1984. Tune in next time. I cannot believe I guessed it based on snakes too.